It is good to be here, good to be together. And um, particularly if you're new here, a special welcome to you. My name is Mbonisi. I'm one of the team of pastors here at One Tribe. And it's such a privilege to uh, have you with us here this morning. And uh, I want to add my welcome to the welcome you've already received. And uh, particularly that's also welcome to our uh, newcomers lunch. And so if you haven't been for our newcomers lunch, please talk to me straight after the meeting and uh, we'll see if we can get you on there. I think there's still one or two spaces. Uh, for people just like you, it's absolutely free and it gives us a chance as a church to get to know you a little bit better. So uh, I'm gonna start by reading a story from the Bible. And um, I was reminded of this uh, while we were praying together at about 9.30 this morning. If you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 11. And we're at the start of our series on technology, and the technology pervades every single area of our lives. Uh, love it or hate it, you can't live without it. And so for the, we thought that it would be helpful for us for four weeks to talk about this very practical issue. So we've taken a break from our sermon through the book of Acts, and uh, for this Sunday and the next three Sundays after this, we're gonna be talking about technology. And uh, I wanna encourage you to come along, do bring some friends as well. But uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible when it comes to technology is from Genesis chapter 11. Huh, it's harder to find than usual. It's near the front of your Bible. I'm used to uh, flipping around on my iPhone to, uh, to get there. Genesis chapter 11. So we're talking about technology under four headings. We're going to look at technology as a theology of togetherness. That's this Sunday. Next Sunday, we've got Muthewu up, and she's going to be talking about theology, uh, technology as a theology of the tongue, the power of words. And then uh, the week after, we've got Cephas up. He's going to talk about technology from the perspective of, of a theology of time and how we use our time. And then the last Sunday, um, Calvin's going to be up, and he's going to be talking about technology, particularly from the perspective of a theology of truth and information and misinformation and so on. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited about all of this, but I'm kicking off this morning with a kind of series overview, if you like, and then drilling down into the area of uh, theology of togetherness. And uh, we're in Genesis chapter 11. It's um, a story some of you will have heard. Now the whole world had one language and a common Speech, you see, it's talking about togetherness, just like we are today. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Now that's not an incidental comment, that is actually cutting edge technology for that time. So they're using technology, they're using their God-given creativity, they are taking initiative. Then they said, come let us build for ourselves a city, a silicon savannah, with a tower that reaches to the heavens. 
so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. We're not going to go through this passage in detail. We've got some other good stuff coming, but I want us to just draw out these, these, these uh, themes of togetherness, these themes of technology and mankind's use of technology, but then look at what gets, what gets added in there very, very quickly is a name for ourselves, that's pride, and so that we would not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That's insecurity. We, we feel secure when we're around people, particularly when we're around people just like us. And these are themes that are affecting us to this day. We don't want to be scattered over the face of the whole earth, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, if in their togetherness they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So there's a togetherness amongst humanity, but there's also a togetherness. I don't want us to miss this. They're saying we want to build a tower that'll take us up to heaven so that we can be together with God or the gods. And the Bible says God has set eternity in our hearts. Every single person who can hear the sound of my voice, God has set eternity in your heart. It's a God-shaped hole that nothing else can fill. And they wanted to fill it by building this tower to the heavens. But the Bible is so clear, not just in this story, but the tenor of Scripture is that the way to get togetherness with God isn't for mankind to behave or build ourselves up. But it's when God comes down. That's what happens in verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people, speaking the same language, they began to do this in their togetherness, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. There is a power in unity and there is a power in technology. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. You see that on Twitter sometimes, people not understanding each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them, set togetherness language again. The Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. A snapshot into our technology story. Our technology story, my wife Tashinga and I, we got married in, uh, on the 6th of September 2003. And uh, I would say that for the first five years of our marriage, correct me if I'm wrong, Tash, we had no television. Uh, we had more fun things to do in the evening. And in that context, we, 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 we live relatively free of technology. And uh, we actually only got our first television in the home. After uh, we'd had one or two kids, and uh, the, after we'd had how many kids? After we'd had our three kids, so that was 2011, is that right? So uh, for the first eight years of our marriage, no television. And uh, uh, what happened is my mother, their grandmother, began to get concerned that her grandkids would grow up backwards. So she brought, she, she purchased a TV, or she gave us a TV. That's how we ended up with a TV in our home. And, uh, you know, we bumbled along and, uh, five or six years ago, we moved from Zimbabwe, um, to, uh, to this great nation of Kenya. 
And um, in, in, in Kenya, we, we again were, comparatively speaking, relatively free of technology until pandemic hit, caught us all by surprise. And um, all of a sudden, the school said, uh, all three of your children need to have laptops, just like that. And uh, wonderfully, the school our kids were going to had a great deal on some laptops. And so all of a sudden, we had three laptops in the home. And um, I mean, there were a lot of priorities during pandemic, am I right? There's work, and there's family, and there's face masks, and there's travel, and there's curfew, and there's working from home, and there's all kinds of things are going on. You, we lived through it together. And so um, fast forward to, um, to 2021, and, and about maybe a month ago, and had this incredible moment where, yeah, so this, this hasn't happened to most of you, but it happened to us, okay. That incredible moment where I walked into a room in our house, the lounge, one room. Five people in the room. Six screens on. I know this has never happened to you, but it happened to us, okay. And we just stopped and thought, wow, what, what is, what is, What's going on here? But isn't that the nature of technology? I fast forwarded, but if you, if you back it up a little bit, our kids, I know this wasn't the experience of, of all the kids here necessarily, but our kids were able to go to school in the middle of a pandemic, not in a classroom. Do you realize how phenomenal that is? This is building bricks and mortars and cities kind of stuff. This is incredible. But like with so many areas in life, I'll draw a parallel from the world of money. The problem isn't having money. The problem is when the money has you. And the problem isn't the technology. The problem is, isn't having technology. The problem is when the technology has you. So that's, that, that's, that, that's, that's the nature of technology. It's this powerful, beautiful thing, I would say, but it also has this dark side. So if you flip forward in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, Galatians 4, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's talking about, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a letter to a church in this area about the gospel. It's, it says that when the set time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. And what this verse is saying, part of what it's saying, commentators, different commentators, Bible scholars will agree, part of what this verse is saying is that God sent his son Jesus at just the right time in history. What made it just the right time? Well, a number of things, but a lot of people would argue this. One of the things that made it just the right time for Jesus to come is that when Jesus came into this world, the Roman Empire was strong on the earth. And because the Roman Empire was strong on the earth, the good news of what happened in a small city called Jerusalem was able to spread using the technology and the roads built by the Romans. It was able to spread all across the empire. That was part of the just, just the right time. God wanted everyone to hear this good news. And so he did it at a time when we had used our creativity to create Roman roads. And the Romans used their government and their, their, their administrative organizational ability to organize what was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. So there was technology and there was peace that created this environment where the good news of God having sent his son could go viral. I'm trying to show us here how God has used technology 
throughout history, and the example is the coming of his son. But if you fast forward about 1,500 years, you come to a time that Christians call the Reformation. And uh, in the Reformation, a man called Martin Luther, you know the story, nailed his 95 theses to uh, 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 the door of a, of a church or a building or whatever it was. And then one of the, one of the catalytic things at that time as there was this, if you like, rediscovery of the gospel, was that the printing press had been invented. And as a result, the truths that, that Martin Luther and the other reformers were discovering of how we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that the only authority in our lives is this book. That good news could get out because it could be printed and sent out. It could go viral. God has always used technology. Fast forwarding to last weekend, many of you would know that uh, we experienced the, the death of uh, a dear friend of ours, who I know many of you have been praying for, and um, two Sundays ago, Sheshi Kaniki, pastor of, um, one of the pastors of God's tribe in Dar es Salaam, went to be with the Lord. And uh, last Saturday we had his funeral and it was live streamed around the world. And uh, again, you wouldn't be surprised by this, but I was surprised how after the funeral I'd get messages saying, hey, we, were, we weren't in the tent with you, but we were at the funeral because we were online and we could, we could be a part of what was going on. Because of the wonder of technology and, and it was a two-way thing because people could observe what was happening through technology, but also people who'd have loved to be there but couldn't could send messages. And so we had a couple of pre-recorded video messages up on the screen just honoring the servant of Christ. These are the wonders of technology. And you guys know better than I do how the workplace, our thinking about the workplace in the last 24 months has been revolutionized through the wonders of technology. But there's also a dark side. There's a dark side to technology, and I want to examine this in the context of togetherness. And I'm indebted for this next five or so minutes of the message, particularly to a guy called Brett McCracken. He's in a, we're in a part of a family church called Advance, and Brett, he's an elder in an advanced church in the U.S. He's also an editor for the Gospel Coalition, which some of you will be familiar with. But he made a couple of helpful observations that I, I, I thought would be worth sharing with you. Brett spoke about how in our modern times, and one of the things Brett is great at is seeing what's happening in culture and just observing what Christians need to see and celebrate or see and be aware of or see and challenge. And one trend that he observes is that uh, there's a modern trend towards what he calls a disembodied life. That part of what's happening with technology is that it removes us from physical space, and that's been accelerated in the last 24 or so months. It removes us from physical space until we are living our lives virtually mediated through screens. A result of that is that sometimes without our realizing it, the physical becomes less real than the digital. Another flip side of that is we end up with a distorted sense of reality. 
A distorted sense of reality. Let me just give you two quick examples. On, I won't name the platform, but it's a platform you all know and use for your meetings, that one, okay. There is a function where you can show your face, but what happens to the background? You, I don't know how to do that, by the way. If someone could come up and help me with that, I would appreciate that. But, but what, what's going on? I'm not saying that's a bad thing, I'm not, but I want you to observe that part of that is I'm going to show you only what I want you to see and not the mess that's taking place in my lounge right now. And Atash sent me a meme, one of those memes where uh, there's a guy, he's like at the beach, waist high in, uh, you know, uh, Diani waters or something like that, uh, you know, in his swimming costume. He's got his laptop on, he's in a Zoom meeting at work, but at the coast, and uh, he turns to the camera and has this expression on his face as the person on the, the person running the meeting says, uh, if we could all please turn our cameras on so that we can see what's happening. And it's that whole thing of, I'm only gonna present to you what I want you to see. And that comes over into our social media world where we're only gonna post what we want people to know. If I want people to know the good that's happening in my life, well, I'll post that. And so we will tend to post 18 years married to this babe. We are less likely to post argument number 217 <laughs> with my other half. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And this starts to distort our perceptions of reality, and you've seen this. You've seen whole so-called civilized nations go to the polls and vote both sides of the Atlantic, and they realized that there was a whole nother reality that they hadn't experienced and hadn't seen coming, and that was making decisions for whole nations. Is this making sense? So we end up with a distorted perception of reality. Brett also observes that we end up detached from local community. And what he's talking about there is um, on my phone, on my Twitter feed, I've got um, you know, some local influences and, and some, some, some local ways of staying in, in track with what's happening. Uh, but, but then the, you can also have BBC and CNN and all kinds of things. And so what happens is that particularly in a city like Nairobi, we end up aware of what's happening all around the world. And we're more aware of what's happening in South Korea than we are about what's happening in Ruaka. Does that make sense? But, 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 but what's going on in South Korea doesn't have much to do with your life, and there's not much you and I can do about it. And so we get these statistics, these figures from around the world. These many people died in a shooting, this many people died, and it, it, it affects our emotions in a certain way that when we hear that one person died in the housing estate down the road, it's just distorted, we're already distorted in terms of how we perceive that. And so social media and technology can tend to widen our circle of concern without widening our circle of influence and actually distracting us from what should be our circle of influence, to use Stephen Covey's language. Oh, this is a good one. This is the, 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 the last thing, thing that he observes. 
Brett said that uh, a detachment from our own, one of the modern, ten, modern trends that is magnified by technology is a detachment from our own bodies and biology. So what happens is we end up getting so used to living virtually. And uh, you can't remember, was that a real meeting I had with that person or was it a Zoom meeting? I can't remember because the lines become blurred. And then we also start to communicate ourselves differently. And so we, we use emojis, smiley face, and then some phones, and I don't know how to do this either, so if you know, please come and help me afterwards. Some phones can make an emoji that looks just like you. Have you seen that? And I, I think the king lookalike is Patrick Gerber at the back. Just ask Patrick to send you a message. You'll absolutely love this kind of lookalike he's got of him. But, but, but then they, we have these ways of presenting ourselves. We have these uh, avatars in games where you can create exactly what you want to look like. Where am I going with this? And Brett made what I think is an astute observation. He observed that it's living in a world like that where who I am becomes more about an idea and a concept than it does about a physical reality. You've got to track with me here. And it's in an environment like that that it becomes more and more likely and more and more plausible for our thinking to become, even if I am in a biologically male body or a biologically female body, my reality is different to what I'm experiencing physically. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that that's the cause of gender dysphoria. That's a whole other thing. We'll, we'll preach on gender dysphoria and things like that another time. But the only point I'm wanting us to understand is that our very understanding of reality is being affected and changed whether we're aware of it or not. So what am I saying about the technology space so far? Well, then we're going to get into some scriptures, give some application, and then end by worshipping Jesus together because it's all about him. The point I'm making about technology and what I'm sort of thinking about and throughout this series and why this series is important is because the world of theology is contested space. C.S. Lewis put, put it this way. You might say, well, technology, technology is neutral. Well, I'll, I'll, let's C.S. Lewis put it his way. C.S. Lewis said that there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And this morning we were praying for those, just before this meeting, praying for those who are watching online or you're here today and you are in the tech space, you have a blog, technology is part of your job. We're praying that you'd come to understand that you are working, like all of us, you are working in a contested space that is claimed by God. We don't want to lose sight of that. But we don't want to be naive and not understand that it's also counterclaimed by Satan. So what I want to do now in our uh, few minutes left together is I want to just take us through a Bible survey, not so much of theology, but of 
a theology of presence, if you like, or a theology of togetherness. And to help us understand ourselves, we're going to start by looking at God. Because if you want to understand yourself better, you don't start by looking at yourself. You don't start with anthropology or sociology or psychology or physiology or biology. You start actually with theology because everything revolves around God. As we understand God better, we understand ourselves better. And so just going back to the book of Genesis, I'm only going to touch on these verses very, very briefly. Genesis 39, verses 2 to 3, is from the life of Joseph. He grows up, he's sold into slavery by his brothers. It seems absolutely terrible. But then the Bible brings a hint of good news in Genesis 39, verses 2 and 3. If the word is in blue on your screens, I'd love you to read it out with me. The Bible says, verse 2, that the... Joseph, so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now that is massive. That is talking about one reality invading another. That Joseph, it's terrible. He's been betrayed by his brothers. His father thinks he's dead. He's a slave. He's disadvantaged. He's in a foreign land. And the Bible says, but the Lord was with Joseph. And it carries on. His master saw that the When something is repeated in scripture, it's trying to point you to something. Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him and and saw that the Lord gave him success in everything he had. And so I want us to understand something about presence, about something about presence. This is important because it helps us understand togetherness in the world of technology is that God is everywhere. How many of you believe that? then why does the Bible say the Lord was with him? Yes, the Lord was with him, but the Lord is with her and the Lord is with them. And what, what, what is that about? And it's trying to explain to you how even though God is everywhere, the way that presence works is there is a witness that comes from God to his covenant children. If you're not sure if you're a covenant child of God, All you need to pray is, Jesus, help me. Jesus, lead me. That's the beginning of the most powerful possible force for good in your life. The Lord was with Joseph, and there is a presence that can sustain you through slavery, that can sustain you through prison. That's what happens next. He is falsely accused of sexual harassment, so... Potiphar cancels him, and then he ends up in prison. But guess what it says in prison, verse 21. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor. That's what happens when God is with us in this way. Got him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, lost him from the life of Joseph. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with And even gave him success in whatever he did. So I'm trying to help us to understand something about, there is, some, there is something of a togetherness with God that will help us understand our togetherness with one another, even in a technological world. Partly, I want us to understand this partly because God is everywhere and he can only be everywhere because he is God. We are not God. But we are made in the image of God. And so when we are able to project something of our presence, not in the same way as God, but when we're able to project something of our presence around the world, 
then we are reflecting something of the image of God. And God is everywhere, but he also has this special presence. The psalmist in Psalm 139 put it this way. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. But if I make my bed in the depths, even there, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I make it through traffic to JKIA and get onto KQ after the flight has been delayed for three days, but then I get onto the plane eventually and I fly across the oceans, when I get off the plane at immigration, guess who's waiting for me? If I settle on the far side of the, the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So there's something of God's presence that isn't just an everywhereness, but there's something of God's presence that brings this guiding to the, to the psalmist. There's something about the special presence of God that is like God's right hand holding him steady. I'm trying to understand this, help us understand how God's presence works so we can receive and enjoy more of his presence. So we also understand something of how our presence works. And so God has been able to be with Joseph in prison, in Potiphar's house. God is able to be with the psalmist, whether he goes to the heights or the depths or the far side of the sea. God's presence is able to be with the psalmist. But God wants to be together with us so much, he wasn't satisfied with that. And so... In about 0 AD, he came up with presence 2.0. And this will blow your mind. Because God said, I don't want to be just everywhere all over the planet. It's not even just that I want to be with Joseph or the psalmist so they can feel me holding them, feel me sustaining them, see me prospering them. The Bible says in Matthew 1 verse 23 that as was prophesied, the virgin will conceive birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Wow. We've been talking about a disembodied life and a virtual life. And God himself said that the embodied is so important that in the person of my son, God will take on flesh, will take on a body. And we are going to call that God with, together with us.
This is the miracle of the incarnation. And I want us to understand the power of the bodily in our lives. And I came across this poem that I thought would be helpful to share. And I want, as I read it, and the words will be up on the screen, I want you to be reading it, I want you to be listening to it through the lens of this is a God who is not content to be disembodied. But he was embodied. I want you to, 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 to soak up the physicality, if that's a word, of this language. It's a poem called Jesus of the Scars by Edward Shalito. It says this, The maker of man became man, that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished at his mother's breast, that he, the bread of life, might hunger, that he, the fountain, might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, might be wearied by the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he, justice, might be condemned by the unjust, that he, discipline, might be scourged with whips, that he, the foundation, might be suspended upon a cross, that courage might be weakened, that healer may be wounded, that life might die. Last verse says this. I love this about Christianity. If you haven't considered Christianity before, this verse here should make you consider Christianity. Because it compares the God of Christianity, Jesus, to all other gods. It says this, the other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Doesn't that want to make you worship Jesus plus nothing, Jesus and no one else? What I'm presenting to you from the gospel, the good news, friends, this morning, is that wherever you are in your spiritual journey, possibly the most powerful thing that God has done for you was to come and physically be with us. The gospel is at pains to demonstrate the physicality of Jesus' life on earth. He wept. He was tired. He was angry. Part of his physical existence. The Bible is at pains for us to know that he rose again in the body. And the story is told in that way. He says to his disciples, come and 
physically put your fingers in my physical wounds. He says to them, come, let's eat a physical meal together. Why? Because he wanted us to know that he rose again in the body because the body is important. The gospel is God with us. One of the most powerful things God did was to come and physically be with us. And the flip side is your physical presence is one of the most powerful things about you. So last weekend, we got on a plane, Tashinga and I, Calvin and Belinda, we went down to the funeral of our friend Sheshi. We were with the family. We were at the graveside. We were with them on the Sunday morning. And in all of those things, yes, I, I, I gave a couple of talks and I, I directed a couple of things, but, but that wasn't, I don't think, the main part of my being there, the main part of my being there was my being there. Does that make sense? So, a couple of application points and then we're going to worship Jesus together because it's all about him. So what do we do in light of this? Well, there are three applications. Application number one is be fully present. Wherever you are, be fully present. In conversation, friends, be fully present. At a couple of funerals of some friends, church leaders I know, one of the most wonderful comments that I've heard come through a couple of times from different people is that person, when you were talking to them, it was like you were the only person in the room. You ever been in a conversation like that? Well, be that person, be fully present because one of the part of this every awareness is that I can be standing in front of you by the way when I was about uh, my uh, my oldest son's age about 14 15 years old I was in form two of high school so the second year out of six in high school I perfected the art of falling asleep particularly in commerce class with my eyes open and so I could be there in the class seated with my eyes open but I'm telling you I had tuned out Part of our everywhereness is we can be physically present somewhere, but our mind is across the room or across the city. Does that make sense? But friends, I want you to understand the power of Jesus' being fully with us. And the power of our presence, your presence is one of the most powerful things about you. In conversation, in marriage, and in parenting. Parents, let's be physically present and fully present for our children. Because you can come home at five o'clock and I'm culprit number one. But you're not fully present. In a marriage, you can be in the same room, kinda, but not be fully present. And the helpful thing, friends, is if there are two of you in the conversation, two of you in the room, and one of you feels that the other's not fully present, then just agree that if one person feels that, then that's what it is. Does that make sense? Be fully present. In the family context, one of the most moving things I can remember hearing Michael Eaton say, Michael Eaton is a 
theologian who lived in Kenya for many years, I think one of the greatest theologians of our generation, he's gone to be with Jesus. But I remember him saying, in the middle of a theology seminar, I don't know what he was talking about, but this stuck out to me. He said that he said to his daughter, who was leaving from home to go and live life, and Michael Eaton, he was a funny guy. He, was, he had a brain this big. He wasn't very natural in one-on-one -on -one conversation because he was just one of those super brilliant types. But he said, I said to my daughter, as you go, just remember this. At any point, at any time, all I need is one phone call from you. And within 24 hours, I promise you, I will be by your side. And that just hit me. This guy, he's got invitations around the world to speak to millions and so on. But he said, I want you to know that my physical presence is available to you as my daughter anywhere in the world within 24 hours. In this world of technology, I'm celebrating technology. I'm saying we need to contest in the theology space and harness this for the redemptive power of the gospel. But I'm also saying that we need to also come back to a fully embodied presence and power. It applies in conversation. It applies in marriage and parenting. It applies in terms of the country that you are in. I think it's an African phenomenon, but it's an African phenomenon that hit Zimbabwe particularly hard over the last two or three decades, where people would leave the country, and you wouldn't just say they were leaving the country, you would say they are leaving for greener pastures. And there were moments in the nation, and there's reasons for it, I'm not knocking the nation at all, but there's moments in the nation, moments on this continent where people are physically present here, but their hearts are on greener pastures. We can cycle back to our family application, where a man and a woman can be in a marriage, but their hearts are on greener pastures. You've heard this before, but I want to remind you that uh, someone once said, you know, the grass is greener, on the, always greener on the other side. Someone said that the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is green where you water it. And we water where we are by being fully present. By saying, yes, I see green grass there, I see green grass there in that marriage, I see green grass there in that country, but I'm going to make the grass green where I am, and that is by being physically present here and investing here. It applies to our country, and it applies to us whether we are Kenyans looking for greener pastures, or whether we came here from another country. But even though we are physically present, our hearts are somewhere else. And friends, I want to call us as a multicultural church, and I speak as a non-Kenyan to Kenyans and to non-Kenyans, 
one tribe, let's be fully present here. That means put down roots. Can't say, well, I've got a two-year assignment here, and so I'll, you know, I'll attend a church, but I won't become a member, or I won't get it. I won't. No, 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 no. We're called to be fully present where we are, because one of the most powerful things about us is our bodily presence, not just our bodily presence, but our full presence. It applies in the country, it applies in leadership in different ways. I've led in different arenas, in the medical world, in the church world, in schools and different initiatives and so on. And I don't think I'm often the smartest person in the room. I don't think I often have the best ideas. The one thing I do as a leader is I keep on showing up. That means I was here yesterday, I'm here again today. And you know what, I'll probably be here tomorrow, God willing. I won't be here next Sunday because my bodily presence is needed in, in Uganda. But the Sunday after that, I'll be back. And that's one of the most powerful things I think I bring into any context. Dads, keep showing up. School teachers, keep showing up. And as we do that, that's how we become and we demonstrate salt and lightness. I'd love us to stand together. I'd love us to worship Jesus. Maybe the band can come and uh, get ready to lead us in this last song. I want to bring us in for a landing. Be fully present in leadership. Perhaps by the Spirit, God has placed an area of your life on your heart where you need to be more fully present. I said there were three points, and I'll just touch on the other two briefly while the band is getting ready. Be fully present. The second is embrace the imperfect. What do I mean is technology can nurture in us an obsession for the perfect. It can nurture a thing where the video presentation's got to be perfectly polished, where the room's got to be perfectly air-conditioned, because it can be. A part of being an embodied people is that we embrace the imperfect. Our culture can say, no, 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 you've, what you want is a church with the smoke and the haze machines and the lighting and so on, because that's what technology presents to us. So I don't mind saying, if you ever see smoke and haze machines at one tribe on a Sunday morning, it means I've died and gone to heaven <laughs> and I'm no longer involved in the decision making. I'm not, I'm not against smoke machines, but my point is Jesus came into an imperfect world and he embraced it. And when we can't do the same because it's a little bit hot 
because it goes on a little bit long. I, I know it's not perfect. But it's what we're called to in the body, to be the body. Friends, I want to call us one tribe in this world where you can Zoom with people in Honolulu and Beijing. And I celebrate that. One tribe I want to call us to be an embodied people who are fully present, who are embracing the imperfections of our bodily existence, which are just constant reminders that we aren't God and He is. I want to call us to not give up meeting together, wherever possible, bodily. Why? Because the church is an embodied experience. We, we break the bread and we eat it together. We, we drink the wine that represents his blood shed for us, the physicality of it. Because we're not just a spiritual people, we are an embodied people. And friends, I want us to end this morning by lifting our gaze heavenward and focusing on Jesus, the only perfectly embodied one.